Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning and uh, top of the new year. Happy 2023, Dan and Amy. We're back in action. Yeah, happy new year to you and everyone happy to else, have all you. Of our yeah. listeners. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just wanted to start uh, by talking about uh, what happened last night in the Bills-Bengals game to DeMar Hamlin uh, and uh, what we know about this for, for those who didn't see the game and didn't hear the update from Mike and his newscast. DeMar Hamlin's a safety for Buffalo Bills in the first quarter. He makes a tackle on a receiver. He gets up and then he collapses on the field. And it was it was a frightening moment because you saw uh, medical personnel on site at the, the game, as they always are, right. administering CPR on the field, which is an unusual sight. So and then you the knew, right, I mean, most of us knew right away that he had some kind of cardiac arrest. Right? So then the game gets suspended, and um, uh, we learned later, actually, from a tweet at about... Uh, about ten thirty yet last night. I guess this is this guy is some sort of marketing agent for uh, Demar Hamlin. Uh, his vitals are back to normal. They put him to sleep to put a breathing tube down his throat. They're currently running tests, and then you know updates will continue. So it looks like, uh, and hopefully, of course, he's out of the woods. Uh, and then you know we'll see what the underlying condition was or event that could have instigated a, a cardiac. A moment for a 24-year-old professional athlete, um, we don't know. But the coverage, I don't know if people were watching it. I watched the whole thing. I couldn't stop. <laughs> the Did coverage you... from ESPN, it's just so typical and so awful. I hate to start the new year on a on a almost tragic note, a terrible moment. Thankfully, again, it looks like he's stabilized. And well, then this, according this to neg- CNN, they no, no. According to CNN, the next twelve to twenty-four hours are critical. That he's still, they're going to see you know, once they take the breathing tube out if he can or cannot breathe on his own. Well, we'll see. Okay. Well, he's stable. He didn't pass away. We've seen no, that happen actually before. Um, so, the coverage, ESPN. It's just it's so typical. But I just have to remark upon it because everybody will pass it over for fear of addressing it. But it's just so terrible. They're just so awful. Lisa Salter and Scott Van Pelt back in uh, ESPN Studios. And, uh, I mean, even though I loved him when he played, Ryan Clark uh, of my beloved Steelers. The, 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 the competition to see who can be most overwrought when a terrible thing occurs... Rather than sort of keeping a cool head 
and being professional and just sticking to what we know and what we don't know. Yeah, obviously, it's a commentator's business, so you can comment, but just the the treacly nonsense emanating from the mouths, even to some extent Buck and Aikman, of the announcers and the sideline reporters and ESPN, it was unlistenable, though I listened so I could comment on it. I just wanted to see how bad it would get. I don't know if people saw three one two six four two fifty six hundred turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six D A turnkey dot pro text line. Let me give you an example of what I mean. So I'm not just okay. characterizing it. Ryan Clark, great player for the Steelers. Right, your Steelers guy. Yes. He said, you know, every time we, meaning him and his you know, professional footballers go on the field, we put our lives on the line. So let's, I'm paraphrasing him, but this is the gist of what he said. So let's remember this, you know, the next time you want to criticize a player because you didn't put up the fantasy points you wanted or something like this. Let's remember this. These are human beings. Lisa Salter uh, on the sidelines, you know, trying to fight back tears and the, you know, Life is precious, something she actually said. And, and uh, oh, and the, her reporting, the Cincinnati Bengals came over to the Buffalo Bills locker room and people shake hands because the Bengals were also concerned about DeMar Hamlin's medical condition. I, so on the, the Ryan Clark, so now every professional athlete uh, is, a, is a hero who is uh, insulated from criticism beyond reproach, even though that sort of you know sport is arguing about best players and heroes and goats, you know small h heroes and small g goats in the context of a sporting event and so on and so forth. Did you see this play? Did you see that great catch? Did you see that boneheaded mistake? No, no, no. They're all heroes putting their lives on the line, like they were storming the beaches of Normandy. I'm sorry. Come on. Well, do you think they should have continued the, with the game? No, they I mean, because well, friend that I know, but my, my well, so, no, no. Well, some yawn. people are arguing that too that they should have continued with the game. But I, I mean, I think that they had to stretch Dan. I don't think that this has ever happened before, where you know there's been a cardiac arrest on the field. Obviously, oh, really? Like, it has actually. Okay. Here's something else. This this is the quality of sports journalism and journalism generally. Well, nobody has any institutional memory. Oh, the, anything that happens to me is the first time it's ever happened. It's unprecedented. That was a word that was used. It's incomprehensible. Oh, really? They're all heroes. Well, then where's the statue to Chuck Hughes in Detroit? Does anybody know who Chuck Hughes is? No. Chuck Hughes was a wide receiver for the Detroit Lions who collapsed on the field in 1971 and died an hour after the game. Turned out he had an underlying condition of arteriosclerosis and his arteries were like 75% blocked. He was, he was 28 years old. I mean, of course, in my lifetime, the indelible moment is Hank Gathers collapsing on the court in the Loyola Marymount conference right. game and dying, essentially, on the court. You never forget that, seeing that, that video of him, like, uh, backpedaling Awful. to get back on defense and then collapsing. And it turns out, again, he had an underlying condition. That was a great Loyola Marymount team with Bo Kimball, and he shot free throws left-handed in honor of Hank Gathers through the tournament. And I digress. But uh, you remember it. I get it. I get that part. I remember it. But but this 
uh, the, all this, you know, it's Scott Van Pelt moralizing. Oh, he's so morally indignant that it took for that so long to call the game and so on and so forth. You know, fog of war type of stuff. But everybody's got to be, everybody has to be the moral authority. They have to feel it the deepest and convey it. It's very much like the everybody has to get their thoughts and prayers to make sure that they've been registered and, and make sure you look at them. And don't forget about me in this moment. Look at me. And I know they're on TV, so you're supposed to look at them. And I know they're vamping, as you say, so they've got to fill airtime. You could fill it with something substantive. You could fill it with something thoughtful. You could have the 42,000 people that are employed from ESPN uh, find the story of Chuck Hughes the way that I did. And say, gosh, I wonder if this has ever happened before, before we go off all half-cock saying, you know, we're living in a moment that's never been experienced. It has been experienced because, you know, the human condition doesn't change. And unfortunately, tragedies associated with the human condition don't change either. I mean, I hate to be sort of unfeeling about it. I'm not. I'm glad DeMar Hamlin is okay. It's terrible what happened. It was jarring to see him collapse. I was watching it like so many people. But, I mean, this this sort of quote-unquote reporting the the sentimental bull jive that you get everywhere all the time it's nonstop. How about that as a New Year's resolution? How about one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey debt pro answer line? You can also reach us on our text line at six four six three six. Type in DA then a quick comment. Uh, for, for a New Year's resolution, like learn to cope with things. Learn to be even-keeled about things, and particularly distrustful things. It's even more important in those moments. I mean, good grief to listen to these people. They're just so bad at their job. And they're just so consumed with the sentimentality that punctuates our culture. Don't you get uncomfortable? I mean, we're watching it. I was watching a bar. I was having a burger and watching a bar like, you know, 50 million other people. And you saw it happen and guys are talking. Did you, did you see what happened? What happened? I don't, I, I don't know if it was like spinal injury, head injury, like a after effect a of a concussion. But, what was it, but it wasn't because the hit was like a it was not a particularly hard hit. And then it collapsed and you see the CPR and it's a cardiac event and this theory and that theory and then yeah to your point about should the game continue it's probably going to suspend it as particularly when the coaches got together and the both teams left the field nobody doesn't want to go out and play after seeing that and so but you just but it was a conversation it didn't require lisa salter's crocodile tears and scott van pelt's moral indignation and ryan baker's hyperbole about the importance of professional athletes you know, I mean, just get over yourself. How about that in 2023? <laughs> Mark on the South Side, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Good morning, Dan and Amy. I watched ESPN last night, and they ran with the story that the players were informed that they have five minutes to prepare to come back, which was totally false, and the league sent out a memo after they heard that, and they said we, that never entered our mind to do that. But as far as the cancellation of the game, I think it was the right thing to do. But they should have played that game tonight and allowed Buffalo and Cincinnati to play next Monday night because of the playoff implications that, you know, Kansas City and Buffalo and Cincinnati are all 
Well, yeah, the game, the game will go. The games will go on, right? Fighting for home field and so on and so forth. I get it. Thanks for the call, Mark. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM five sixty The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to six four six three six to download the app today. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. Only the biggest stories. Only the biggest guests. And only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy... Welcome to 2023 from Chicago's Morning Answer. That would be us. And uh, it was supposed to take effect on Jan 1, that being Pritzker's Purge Law here in Illinois, the Safety Act, the elimination of cash bail, and uh, the lawlessness that has punctuated Cook County being visited upon the rest of the state, the emptying out of the jails and so forth, even under... Purge Law 2.0 with the amendments that were made after we spent six months in a gubernatorial campaign being pilloried for suggesting that any changes needed to be made to the Safety Act whatsoever. Okay. Yeah, and Governor Pritzker quietly signed revisions to the Safety Act December 6th. There was a lot of fanfare when he first signed it, but this time no media, just a press release saying what he did. Mm-hmm, because anybody it's, who it's opposed... It was a sign of defeat. Anybody who opposed his... Uh, Safety Act 1.0, Purge Law 1.0, was a fearmonger and a racist. That's right. what he said upon signing it 1.0 version back in February of 2021. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. How are you liking your choice, credulous Pritzker voters, particularly as uh, Mike Scott mentioned, and I mentioned before uh, we adjourn for the holidays, uh, gas prices... Oh, yeah. yeah, that temporary relief that uh, gas stations were forced to lie to you about. The suspension of the inflationary incremental increase in the gas tax. Uh, that's over as of Jan 1. That did happen. And then July 1, it'll tick up again. So it'll be 44.3%, 44.3 cents per gallon. By July 1 of this year, it was 19 cents a gallon when Jelly Belly took office. So just FYIs. Yeah, I know it doesn't cents. impact your the, the vote of the Pritzker, the credulous Pritzker voter, but just an FYI. No, because he's all about women's rights, so let's keep him in. The Safety Act, though, um, as predicted on this show, we told you what happened, was declared unconstitutional by Kankakee Circuit Court. 
but it was applicable only to the two-thirds of counties that were party to the consolidated suit. So then after the Kankakee Circuit Court issued their ruling, you had uh, Attorney General Kwame Raoul immediately declare he would be seeking a emergency appeal at the Illinois State Supreme Court level, and then two suburban states attorneys who, in their infinite, infinite lack of wisdom, were not party to the Kankakee suit, Jamie Mosser, Kane County State's Attorney, Democrat. Uh, Bob Berlin, DuPage County State's Attorney, Republican. And why Bob Berlin thought he... But Bob Berlin has been a mess. Let me just say this on the the Safety Act. He came on this show with Jim Glasgow and talked about how dire the situation was and echoed the sentiments of Will County State's Attorney Jim Glasgow, who's been point on this since the beginning. And you've heard him on our show discussing it in great detail. Came on with with uh, Jim Glasgow, did Bob Berlin, said, yeah, it's going to increase crime and so on and so forth, opposed to it. Then he uh, decided, with, uh, with the, by the way, um, just a little backstory here. Then I did a commercial pack I was running, opposing Pritzker, supporting Bailey. I did a commercial featuring the comments, in part, that Glasgow and Berlin made on our show. Yeah, I saw it. It was a great commercial. And I got a call from Bob Berlin because I initially, in the initial version, I had the headshots of both gentlemen, both state's attorneys in the commercial. And Bob Berlin didn't want his headshot in there, and he didn't want any comments in there, even though he recognized it was public domain and I had every right, and I had every right to keep the headshots in there as well. But I I compromised and removed the headshots because the headshots weren't as important as what these professional prosecutors had to say. But Berlin was playing politics. Had no problem... I mean, I'm, I'm, Berlin really is a great disappointment. And since nobody else is going to say it, I'll say it because that's what I do. That's what I've done for years, and that's not going to change in 2023. I had no idea that he called you and wanted his image removed. What so a- Bob Berlin, who did a commercial for Richard Irvin in the primary. Right. Richard Irvin, who was a prosecutor for five seconds. But Bob Berlin, I knew enough about Richard Irvin and what kind of prosecutorial chops he did to do a commercial for him in the Republican primary because that's where he thought. His bread was buttered. That's why he did it. That's not what he said. I'm just telling you what his motivation was. Now, he doesn't think Darren Bailey is going to win the general. And we all knew, but Darren Bailey was an underdog. So, yeah, that's probably a good bet that he's not going to win the general. But is that the point of being a prosecutor? Handicapping gubernatorial races or any races for that matter? Uh, So he doesn't think Darren Bailey is going to win the general election, and he's afraid of being on the wrong end of Pritzker's money when it comes time for his reelection. So he doesn't want to be in the ad, even though he's happy to come on to cover his ass in DuPage County because there's opposition to the Safety Act generated by people like Jim Glasgow, amplified by people like us. Now, he doesn't want to be in that commercial. He doesn't want his comments in that commercial. He certainly doesn't want his likeness in that commercial implying endorsement which it didn't, didn't state and, and it didn't imply, I would say, and it certainly didn't state. It's on the merits. So whatever. Now, Bob Berlin, fast forward. He doesn't join the Glasgow suit, 65 counties. How is DuPage not in this suit? Doesn't join it because he wants to play ball with Pritzker and he wants to be the one Republican on this little council of state's attorneys that are working with the... Uh, defund police, decarcerate criminals, black caucus in Springfield to improve the safety act. 
So he's not party to that because he wants to be seen as constructive, make amends for, I don't know, his, his, his comments being in a commercial of mine. And then the Kankakee Circuit Court goes the way it was expected to go, and he should have known that. Then he files an, he's pressing for an emergency appeal because you can't have two-thirds of the counties under one regime when it comes to pretrial detention and the other third of counties in Illinois under another regime, and he's certainly right about that, and that's exactly what the Supreme Court decided in staying the implementation of the law altogether, which is where we find ourselves today. So the Safety Act is not in effect anywhere. Nope. Anywhere. Supreme Court stated it pending the appeal at that level, which probably doesn't, they probably don't adjudicate that case and render a decision until March, I would guess. So that's just FYI updating you. But there's a lot of uh, subterranean politics here that are important, including why Republicans are getting their brains beat in in DuPage County and have been for a long time. Oh, by the way, uh, the uh, presidential elections, Obama, Obama, Hillary, Biden. Those are the last four Democrat nominees who all won DuPage County by increasing margins. Well, not Hillary Clinton's margin decreased compared to Obama's. but um, And then the same thing is happening, of course, at the at the local level when it comes to state and local elections, as the DuPage County Board is now controlled by Democrats, as all of these suburban Collar County boards are controlled. And you want to know why? It's because of people like Bob Berlin, who won't stand on principle. Forget, stay out of electoral politics. Just be a professional prosecutor then. But that's not what he's doing. He's pretending to be a professional prosecutor while he's trying to position himself in every moment politically. And he's an elected official. He can do that. He has every right to do that. He can be politically savvy, but he's not being politically savvy. And he's also being politically disingenuous, which is a terrible combination. He doesn't care about the people in the county. He cares about himself. I mean, defendants have a right to monetary bail. It's in the Constitution. And he knows that, but he wants to win favoritism from Governor Pritzker for some reason, and I don't know why. Well, he's, he doesn't want the money, he doesn't want Pritzker money being used to target him for elimination because he sees what's happened in DuPage County after uh, Greg Hart loses the DuPage County Board Chairmanship to you know capstone the complete Democrat socialist takeover of DuPage County. So he's reading the tea leaves, and that's all well and good for your political survival. But here's what happens to the Bob Berlins of the world trying to. You know, navigate the middle of the road. They get hit by traffic going both ways, and that's what's going to happen to him. That's what is happening to him, as he looks buffoonish, being all over the place on something that is so obviously unconstitutional, has such obvious negative implications on public safety. Which again, he has said, but then he sometimes will act in furtherance of what he said, and sometimes won't. Again, how does he not join? The lawsuit filed by Jim Glasgow and Jim Rowe and 63 other state's attorneys. There's no defense. There's no defense to any of this. But I, this is what people want, so this is what they get. I got it. And this is, this is where things are at. You know, we brought you the story of the woman who was walking her dog who got in Lincoln Park who got stuck up and then... The, the assailant pointed the gun at the dog, and then she gave him the car keys, and then they, they took her car. That was, that yeah. was before, the hol- before Christmas. Did you see the one? This, is, this was uh, my favorite. I mean, 
not because I'm happy it happened, but just in terms of how telling it is about where Chicago and Cook County is. This was after Christmas, between Christmas and New Year's. A 61-year-old woman has been charged with stabbing a dog. This is being walked by a teenage girl. Did you see that? 12-year-old chihuahua named Baby survived multiple stab wounds by a stranger outside uh, the family home when uh, his owner, a 15-year-old girl, took him for a walk on the 6600 block of West Irving Park. They're not just going after you now, they're going after your pets, these habitual criminals. Oh, and by the way, where um, people can actually connect the dots, this uh, Pritzker purge law, this purge law, the safety act that we're doing here, it's being rejected elsewhere. Let me give you an example. The bail project, which features celebrities like Danny Glover, John Legend, and Richard Branson in Nevada ceased its operations. This was a bail reform organization. They're they're no cash bail. Defund police, decarcerate criminals, you know, the Thunderdome. The Thunderdome caucus. Well, um, they did Glover and Branson and Legend. They posted $3,000 in a bond, three thousand dollar bond, for a uh, for somebody who is accused of um, committing a burglary, so he could get out of prison. He was a repeat offender, and I guess uh, he repeated his offenses. <laughs> six days after being released, he shot a restaurant worker, Cheng Yen Wang. 11 times at the Shanghai Plaza located in Las Vegas, Chinatown. Yeah. So they quietly shut down the operation. Isn't that oh, interesting? Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, but, oh, because what what we know, logically, what we know from New York State's experience is you put more repeat offenders on the street awaiting trial after you catch them for the latest time, then they're going to do what they've been doing for some time, offend. And so you're going to have people that who are victimized when those crimes could have easily been presented had they been held over for trial. And that's the top line of the conversation we've had for the last year about the Pritzker purge law here. Okay. Oh, by the way, uh, since the Scream ad was so controversial... Last year, uh, the the ad that I did, uh, which just was the ring camera video of a woman being accosted in Lakeview while on a Sunday afternoon walking on the sidewalk, yep. three guys roll up on her and rob her. You Were remember those the guys ever ad. caught? By the way, what's Does anybody that? Anybody care? I know. I uh, have they have has anybody been no, caught? I've in asked, connection? I don't no, believe they so. Have not. No. They well, here's they in, no. They believe they're responsible for fourteen other similar crimes like that, but they still haven't caught them. Here's Cook County Scream number two. Maybe I'll make an ad about it. This takes place in Harvey, which is one of the suburban Thunderdomes. You ready? This is a mom and her son, who's young, like a grade schooler, at the door of their home, the front door of their home, walking up to the front door of the home from the sidewalk. Yeah. Uh, She's got groceries, they've just gone shopping. And this happens. 
Two kids who, and I do mean kids who couldn't have been outside their teen years, uh, roll up on the mom and her kid with uh, with handguns, one with an extended clip, and that you heard that exchange. Fortunately, neither mom nor the kid were hurt. Thank uh, God. And actually, it was it was sort of in, endearing what the kid did after the two guys with guns uh, like ripped the purse out of mom's hands. The little kid like took a swipe at them. It's a more courageous kid than most of the voters in Illinois. Um, but that's that's scream number two in Cook County. Uh, get ready for more of it, by the way, in 2023. Safety Act or No Safety Act. Roger, Southside. Hi. Happy New Year to everybody. Uh, yeah, when you were talking about that guy from DuPage County, that it's it's disappointing how many people, I mean, are bought by Pritzker now. And, and the thing about it is, you know, leading back to his, the time when he was still talking to, to Robert Gorevich on the phone about being you know, state treasurer, I mean, do you know how many goofs had this guy's phone number in their wallet? But, you know, for, I mean, I'm talking about, like, the dregs. You know, Tony Roscoe's uh, go on and on and on and on. Oh, yeah. You could, you, know, you could actually get a hold of J.B. Pritzker. Because he wasn't doing all that much. No, I mean, he was out. Pro- he was out prostituting now. himself for political office, which is what he wanted. He wanted to wear the sash to give his life meaning, and now he's got it. Thanks for the call, Roger. I get it. And uh, by the way, I mean the the thing that's so stupid about the approach Bob Berlin and all these surrender Republicans take is like, oh, by the way, you may have noticed from my pack, and it's not just mine. There are other people out there too. You know, J.B. Prisker's not the only billionaire in town. J.B. Prisker's not the only one willing to put up money for uh, policy purposes. Uh, there, there are those on the right that are willing to do it, too. But, I mean, you have to have a point. And the Republican Party doesn't have a point. And it sort of doesn't have anything resembling leadership. And that has been a refrain for the past two decades at least. But the idea that you have to fold in with J.B. Pritzker in order to be able to underwrite your campaign or stave off the left is completely fallacious. But, you know, it requires doing something, standing for something. And that's just a bridge too far for most Republican office holders in Illinois, as evidenced by their behavior, which is the only thing that matters. Marty Naperville. Good morning. Yeah, my daughter's friend was uh, on the news maybe about a year ago. She's the one who got her car jacked, and she threw her keys down in her first down and ran, and they chased her down the alley and shot at her. Thank, thank God they didn't hit her. But anyway, she got her, they found her car. They fixed it up. She got it back. Last week, somebody, they came back and stole her car again. So it never ended. It's you know, unbelievable. It's yeah. not going to end. It's not going to end. Thanks, Marty. Greg at Jefferson Park, quickly. Hey, good morning. Uh, 
Jeanette Olivo, the girl who stabbed, uh, the woman who stabbed that little dog, um, here's the other problem. In addition to our uh, criminal courts and all that, she's had uh, serious mental problems her whole life. She grew up a half a block away from me. I know her whole family. Serious mm. mental problems. Well, hey, another failure of the system. Uh, all the money that we spend, and you can't keep people that uh, have violent tendencies, even if mental illness is at the root, off the streets. And that needs to happen, too. Okay. Right. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word APP to 64636 to download the app today. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Happy 2023. Good to be back on the air with you. So over the uh, holidays, uh, somebody posted uh, these... um, commercials that AT&T was running in 1993, this campaign that they ran. Uh, Really interesting because the campaign, which was uh, entitled, well, essentially the the hook was, have you ever, question mark, you will, and it was futuristic, projecting what uh, life in America would be like in 2023, brought to you by AT&T. Oh, really? So listen to a couple and see how accurate they were. Have you ever borrowed a book from thousands of miles away across the country without stopping for directions or sent someone a fax from the beach? You will. The company that'll bring it to you, AT&T. How long ago was that? Tom Selleck was au courant. Let's <laughs> do the voice over there. Yeah. Another one. Have you ever paid a toll without slowing down? Bought concert tickets from a cash machine. You will. And the company that'll bring it to you, AT&T. <laughs> so, yeah, I remember you go, these now. Yep. You go through, I mean, first of all, you think, <laughs> oh my gosh, it was just, it, in 1993, we didn't have uh, iPass? No, of course not. Rob Lagojevich yeah. gave us that, remember? Um, and 
you know, all these things they go through. And, of course, AT&T had some idea, as did a lot of people, what was coming, because you can see sort of the trajectory of technology and you know what people are researching and working on and the solutions they're trying to find to particular business problems and tech problems. So, so mirror, they're married. Um, but it was AT&T that brought all these things, of course. Um, that's also interesting, the idea of this competitive marketplace and who builds the best mousetrap and gets it to market fastest. There's more. Have you ever watched the movie you wanted to? The minute you wanted to? Learn special things. That's all taken from jazz. Know any questions? From faraway places. Okay. So where did jazz come from? Good question. Or tucked your baby in. From a phone booth. You will. And the company that'll bring it to you, AT&T. Yeah, that, the, it's the fun part of the touch your baby from a phone booth. That was like somebody FaceTiming from a payphone. Right. They <laughs> it, and they put to, a credit card in because I'm watching it right now. They put a yeah. credit card in to make the FaceTime phone call. As opposed to your, your smartphone, how it actually worked out. Have you ever kept an eye on your home when you're not at home? Or gotten a phone call how is your on your wrist. You will. And the company that'll bring it to you, AT&T. Apple. Oh, no, AT&T, right. Uh, so, yeah. Apple so, watched these commercials and beat them to the punch on a lot of these things. Apparently. Uh, Steve Jobs was paying attention. So, these are great. Uh, all these things that uh, were predicted in 1993 that came to pass and even greater blossom than AT&T's uh, Madison Avenue uh, magic makers could have predicted. So what's the problem? What's the problem? I don't understand. It's a brave new world, Aldous Huxley. What's the problem? Bernie Marcus, one of the co-founders of Home Depot, in a interview with the Financial Times last week, nobody works. Just give it to me. Send me money. I don't want to work. I'm too lazy. I'm too fat. I'm too stupid. Nobody gives a damn. That's Bernie Marcus's commentary on the American workforce. I'm too lazy, fat, and stupid. Just give me money. He said, I'm worried about capitalism. Capitalism is the basis of Home Depot, and millions of people have earned this success and had success. I'm talking manufacturers, vendors, and distributors, and the people that work for us who have been able to enrich themselves by the journey of Home Depot. That's success. That's why capitalism works the list of potential obstacles to entrepreneurial success in the united states today is long human resource execs government bureaucrats regulators socialists harvard graduates <laughs> sure harvard mbas lawyers accountants joe biden the media the woke people he said if uh he and his co-founder arthur blank owner of the atlanta falcons if they had decided to start Home Depot in 2022 instead of 1979, we would have ended up with 15 or 16 stores. I don't know that we could go further. Wow. That's a commentary. It's almost like when you think about entertainment, it's like, it's like Mel Brooks uh, being asked if he could make Blazing Saddles today and say no. So all the, th- the opportunity costs that you don't see, all you see is what's here or what's been created. And this is, of course, the great advantage of the statists, the central planners. The professional minders is most people can't 
don't understand opportunity cost. They can't understand what would have occurred had these obstacles not been put in the way of innovation and American ingenuity. And so you have to give some consideration to people actually put together the things that you see. And could you have created this art today as opposed to 50 years ago when you created it? Could you have built this business today as opposed to 40 years ago when you started it? Three one Re- two really six, interesting four, two, conversations. Five, six, yeah, three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six. Type in D A then a quick comment. What's the problem? Well, we got everything. My favorite, my favorite nineteen ninety three AT and T campaign commercial that predicted the future. You know, have you ever? Will you? Remote learning, and also remote working. That yeah. was one of those commercials, too, where the guy's on a tropical island and he's still, you know, connected to work in New York. Yeah, that happened. So, and then so, children in a classroom learning remotely from so, kids in other places. I think we have perspective. I think there's some people old enough to on this uh, that listening to us that are old enough to remember 1993 and what the world was like. Yeah. So you've got some thoughts, perhaps, on... Life in 1993 versus 2023. The technology is greatly advanced. Yeah, Has but society... Everybody's addicted to their phones and society sucks because of it. Well, I think... I, no one see, wants I, to work. They don't have to. They think that they're going to be um, influencers. Well, see, yeah, I don't understand because... That that's going to get them money and fame and that's what they want. I, I don't understand because uh, as I understand it from those cultural mavens, both the left and the sort of the center right, sort of the godless center right, the um, latest point in time is the most advanced point in time. Isn't that right? Things are always getting better. I mean, this is what libertarians are wanted to say, like our friend John Tamney at RealClearMarkets.com, who I like, but I don't always agree with. But there is, you know, because innovation and... uh, and and better solutions to intractable human problems. Yeah, those things do come to pass. There's no question about it. And technology improves the quality of life, not just for the affluent, the relatively affluent like Americans, but also the world over. It uh, lifts people out of poverty. I mean, Bono is right when he attributes the free exchange of goods and services among people to lifting tens of millions of people out of poverty in the developing world. It has, so that's great. But that's not really the question. The question is, are things better in 2023 in terms of the kind of the society you envision living in than they were in 1993? The technology, the technological advances are undisputed and uh, they're only going to continue convenience of things has meant so many things has greatly improved therefore this must be the most advanced point in human history right we're better people we're a better society than we were 30 years ago is that true 312-642-5600 turnkey depro answer line 64636DA turnkey depro text line Bob in Buffalo Grove you're in Chicago's morning answer uh, good morning Dan and Amy thanks for taking my call and you're off to a great start and I wish you the best in uh, 20, 
23. Um, 94, I met the co-inventor of the cell phone, and he said, be prepared. You're going to have your cell phone number uh, with you for the rest of your life. You're going to have a cell phone. Move up a couple of decades. I think it was about 2012. I met the other inventor of the cell phone, Martin Cooper, who gave us a prediction. Uh, he says, how would you like your cell phone attached to your body and monitoring your bodily functions? Love that it. was back. Oh, so much, think about it. Think so about much more it. efficient. Think about it like diabetics. Thanks, yeah, their thanks for the call, Bob. Monitors their insulin level. Yeah. Well, um, you know, Klaus Schwab over at uh, the World Economic Forum, one of our betters there, that's uh, leading us boldly into the 21st century and beyond. I mean, they've been talking about transhumanism for some time, these uh, tech futurists and these global central planning ghouls like Klaus Schwab. Take a listen to Klaus Schwab and um, uh, Tedros at WHO talking about uh, post-COVID world and transhumanism. Nobody will be safe if not everybody is vaccinated. Can you imagine that in 10 years when we are sitting here, we have an implant in our uh, brains, and um, I can immediately feel, because you all will have implants. Just think of sensors planted into our brain. It doesn't change what you are doing. It changes you if you take a genetic editing. It's a fusion of the physical, the digital, and the biological world. That's really the essence of the fourth industrial revolution. Decarbonization of the economy. Where are they traveling? How are they traveling? What are they eating? What are they consuming on the platform? So, individual carbon footprint tracker. Mm. Stay tuned, we don't have it operational yet, but this is something that we're working on. This global reset. That, that was uh, that was on Tedros. That was a, a, a World Economic Forum subordinate of Schwab's talking about the individual carbon footprint tracker. But you heard. But when we talk about trans, talk about gender identity, the next trans uh, barrier that will break through, as you heard him say, the fourth industrial revolution, transhumanism. The combination of the digital and the biological, the fusion of the two. You think this is uh, all, you know, Star Trek stuff? Well, um, probably a lot of what was in those AT&T commercials 30 years ago sounded like uh, sci-fi too. And AT&T is a lot less pernicious organization than the World Economic Forum, I'll tell you that. Jim in LaGrange on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hi, Dan. Hi, Amy. Good morning. Uh, the two greatest changes that have occurred since 1993 have been the decline in faith and family, and nothing in, in a techno technological world can make up for that. Mm -hmm. Thanks for the call, Jim. He's over the target. Nick, Northwest Side. Yes. Yes. Uh, I was saying that. By the way, welcome back, uh, both of you. It's nice to have you back again. Uh, Adam Clayton Powell, you'll remember that name from a long ways back. He did remote working uh, when he was on Bimini Island. I believe that was in a Caribbean. <laughs> and he would then uh, appear in Washington, D.C., I believe. What was it, a congressman, do you recall? Yeah, he was a congressman from Harlem, yes. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, right, right. That's what it was. Yeah, and he, 
and everybody supported his uh, remote working. They say, hey, you know, uh, yeah. why can't he go and enjoy himself while representing us, looking out for our interests, and, you know, then coming back once in a while and showing us face here. And uh, so remote working's been around a long time. Uh, just, I just yeah. realized that. Uh, yeah, great, great innovators of remote working like Adam Clayton Powell. Very good. Chuck Delavan. Hey, uh, back in 93, I built a Goose Island Brewery over on 1800 North. You Clyborne. built it with your bare hands? I had, you, that's you? And I, yes, I did. And I had a, a, I had a, a Becker beeper, and my boss pulled up the one day because he was really rich. He had a Ferrari, and he and he gets out of the car, and he's got that bag phone like Saving Private Ryan. And I go, what the heck is that? And he goes, that's my phone. I go, if I run upstairs to the, to the phone, I could call you, and I did. And I was just so amazed. Hey, uh, one more thing, uh, just for all the listeners, I went and I seen that Whitney Houston movie with my girlfriend on Sunday, and it was real sad. She she passes away in the end. Don't yeah, oh, spoiler alert. Ends. Yeah, gosh, thanks for the call, Chuck. Uh, yeah, did you have a bag phone? I had um, uh, I had the brick that was in the car. I mean, yeah, I the was br- just oh, yeah, the Gordon Gecko. The Gordon Gecko, but I, my first pager I got, I was in El Paso in 1993, and they gave this thing to me. I'm like, what is this? They said you have to keep it on you all times. Yeah, I had a page when I worked for my first job at the state working for Lee Daniels when he was a House Speaker. I had a, and then Minority Leader quickly. Uh, I had a pager. I remember the pager. That's good old days. I I did. I had a I had a bag phone for a while. Did you really for what job or was that personal? Yeah, I yeah yeah I got I I don't know. (laughs) I think I was just fascinated by technology because it was like I was was I wasn't like Chuck's rich friend driving around a Ferrari, driving around a Buick Skyhawk with a bag phone, which is an interesting look. (laughs) Dan and Amy, Chicago's morning answer. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM five sixty The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to six four six three six to download the app today. You see this? What? Maybe maybe I'm just uh, off to just a bad attitudinal start in 2023, but... Who you De- know? DeMar Hamlin's foundation. DeMar Hamlin has a foundation called Chasing M, the Chasing M Foundation. Yeah, they already raised a million dollars, right? Three million. Three million it jumped to? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I, I'm, s- wow. I'm sorry he had that, that cardiac event last night, and obviously you hope he's okay, he's going to be okay. Why the they did a the the first event they did the foundation a toy drive in Hamlin's hometown of McKees Rock Pennsylvania. Well, now they can get every kid in town a Tesla. I mean, what? Why? Well, why? Because people are grieving; they don't know how else to help out, so they donate money. And I, if I mean, you look, I, you know, on uh, the last toy, I was watching, you know, looking at Twitter and his last toy drive, it was, it was really sweet how many people he made happy. And so they probably oh saw that God. too and said, uh, you know oh what, I'll God. help out. Oh my God. I mean, okay. my, my head is going to explode. My, I mean, the, this, this barbarism, people, people have lost, people, people have been lobotomized by the culture, completely lobotomized. They have no, there's no thought going on. There's only appetites and feeling. No thinking. That's that's a that's just a bad recipe. I mean, it's just a bad combination. I don't know what to tell well, you. Well, the the original. I'm goal all for is to I'm all for the phil- Whatever. I'm all for philanthropic giving. But I mean, are you kidding? Right. The goal was twenty five hundred. They've raised three million. Why? I don't know him. I don't know anything about the foundation and the work he does. But I want to virtue signal with twenty five dollar donation to, to some guy I've never heard of before last night. 
Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word APP to 64636 to download the app today. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560 The Answer. Top of the morning and top of 2023, Dan and Amy, we're back. We were talking uh, before Mike Scott's newscast about these AT&T ads from 1993 about what 2023 would look like, all the technological mm-hmm. advancements. The campaign was, have you ever, you will. That was the hook, uh, for example. Have you ever kept an eye on your home when you're not at home? Or gotten a phone call? On your wrist, you will. And the company that will bring it to you, AT&T. One of the things not included in the AT&T commercial, and I knew we would have some of our fans of parody chime in on this, from the Amish texter. Have you, have you ever lusted after a stacked girl of Russian descent named Lily? You will. Brought to you by AT&T. And you're going to send her money to come visit you. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so the other to part find out of, she doesn't exist. She's a man. The, uh, yeah, right. The other part of the uh, interweb there uh, 30 years later. Very good, Amish. Uh, all right. I want to hear um, Skip J6 for now. I want to hear travel stories since I have one and since it's okay. a little bit lighter and I've been so dark this morning. Uh Travel stories from the holidays, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. And I have a something useful that's provided by the Internet, too, free legal advice, which we'll get to in a second. But I know, Amy, over the holidays, like you and Anna DeVlantis and Natalie Martinez, Jet oh, yeah. Set, uh, like oh, you did right. in the old days. Uh, so what, what about yeah, your Yeah, but luckily travel? I take I take American Airlines. So I didn't have any problems. No problem. If you were on Southwest, like you, taking the hobo ride, um, you get stuck. Because I, really? I was concerned that you were not going to get home. Because remember, I told you to not to take the early flight. I said, your, your flight's not going to be canceled on Southwest because of the storm that never really happened. And uh, when well, did you I, finally get to go home? I tried to get out on Thursday. So that was right. when the storm hit, right? Thursday before Christmas. And I had a 140 flight. That was inexplicably canceled because, of course, the weather was a lot better at 1.40 in the afternoon than it was at 9.45 at night, which is the flight I was <laughs> rescheduled on. Which is, and you, were you sitting on the plane? No, but we can't. Okay. First of all, it was plane was coming out of Dallas. You know, you, uh, here's another thing from the Internet. You've got these, uh, like, flight watch and these other uh, tracker, so you can find out, you know, you put your flight number in there, you can find out where your plane is. So I knew my plane was coming from Dallas. So if it got out of Dallas, I figured we were gold. Got out of Dallas, it was late, uh, arrived at like 11.45 or something, and uh, people deplaned. The first cattle call was made for, row, you know, A1 through 30. People lined up. And in the hobo ride, as you I'm so, so haughtily <laughs> describe it. I'm an American Airlines snob, so I'm not going to apologize. Not everybody can ride first class all the time. All right? Hey, I got a service dog. I mean, yes. I yeah, gotta, you know, service room peacock. for Bunky. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so they line up, and then they cancel the flight at oh. midnight. Oh. Why? Because of time... Too much, too many hours worked by the pilots. Well, how? how I mean, if they, uh, it, it, it was clearly a crew problem, not a plane problem. Well, how did they not know they were going to have a crew problem before the flight arrived? 
how did they not know that for hours before? Those were it was like one of the many frustrations. I'm sure not nearly as bad as some people had. Where you know if you didn't get out Thursday or Friday, if you didn't reschedule off of Southwest or another airline, then you were in for the long haul. You 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 weren't going to get out before Christmas, maybe before New Year's in some cases. Three one two six four two fifty six hundred Turnkey dot Pro answer line six four six three six D A Turnkey dot Pro text line. So then I so rebooked. Then how did you get home? Well, uh, the next day I rebooked on American, and I got out like uh, Friday afternoon. But there weren't a lot of flights getting out of, and so I got out of Midway and I went to O'Hare. But there there weren't even a lot of flights getting out of O'Hare. Um, so I was fortunate to get out on Friday afternoon. I thought. Yeah. Well, we flew out on Christmas morning, and normally it's empty. The place was we flew out of O'Hare was completely packed. Well, sure. So I'm glad we left two hours early to get through TSA. Are you are you uh, TSA pre? Of course, Dan. Yeah, I got to do that. It's just I got. I was one of the originals. As soon as it's an option, that's when I, I signed up for it. Yeah, I just don't. I, I try to minimize my interactions with the government. So that's another forty-five minutes with the government. I don't want to do. But yeah, uh, and they yeah. fingerprint you and they do eye scans. I mean, it's it's pretty intrusive. But it. I, it I wish they just. I wish they just do the retina scans instead of taking your shoes off going through security. How about that? What's <laughs> the worst? That's just ridiculous. And then your first-time uh, flyers, you don't know what they're doing. You're like, just just put it in the dog bowl and go. Just, just t- take your shoes off. You know, you just explain things to people. How many first-time flyers are there? Oh, there's. Uh, I think on holidays, that's when you know, with kids. Oh my God, there's well, so many kids, kids just yeah. screaming at the airport. Yeah, I don't think kids should be allowed to fly. Like under the age of of what twenty five. <laughs> I don't think they should be allowed to fly. They got to drive. Well, I'll tell Peyton and Eli driven. that. They can they can just drive their Uber car to wherever they're going. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's um, well, here is uh, so so I want to get helpful advice. This is uh, some Instagram lawyer influencer, I guess, because she's got more than four million followers. So she must be giving oh. some good advice. Actually, this was pretty good, and it's a pretty uh, pretty smart idea, smart marketing for her. She's an attorney, and uh, she reads the fine print. That's sort of her hook. So reading the fine print. Uh, with respect to airline responsibilities, the contractual responsibilities the airlines have to passengers is pretty interesting. Erica Kulberg is her name, and for those who got shanghaied by Southwest, she's got some free counsel. Hey Southwest, it's Erica. I heard you've been canceling and delaying a lot of flights, so here's a video I made for your customers on how they can get compensated. Feel free to share it with them. Hey guys, I'm a lawyer and love helping you get the most out of your money, so here are seven tips for you. One, if Southwest cancels your flight for any reason and you choose not to get rebooked, you're entitled to a full refund, even for non-refundable tickets. They might try to give you a voucher, but say no to that because you're entitled to a full cash refund. Two, if your bag is delayed, damaged, or lost, the Department of Transportation requires airlines to reimburse you for any reasonable and actual expenses up to $3,800. For example, if your bag is delayed and you need clothing, you can go out and buy a jacket, shoes, whatever you need. Then save your receipts and submit them for reimbursement. By the way, they aren't allowed to set an arbitrary daily limit. Like they can't say, we'll only reimburse you for $50 a day. Three, for any delays and cancellations not related to weather, Southwest will provide these four things for you. They'll rebook you at no 
additional costs. They'll provide a meal or voucher or cash if you're waiting for more than three hours. If you're waiting overnight, they'll provide a free hotel and they'll provide transportation to and from the hotel. Just search airline customer service dashboard to find this on the DOT website. Here are a few other things you can do. Yeah, how about that? I didn't good. know some of I'm that. I'm writing this down. Uh, I didn't. So I'm I'm going to submit my uh, hotel and okay. Uber bill uh, to decide to stay overnight to Southwest. I, I didn't know that. I didn't know you could do that. Your rental, if you had to pay more to return your rental car to O'Hare than Midway, you got to submit that as well. No, I returned That's it to good. Midway, but I had to. Uber. I had I, I incurred an additional cost because I was supposed to return it by noon, and then I had to kick it to like seven o'clock because my flight got delayed. So I'm going to submit. I got to submit that too. Yeah. Then then I'm going to forget all this freaking paperwork. So annoying. But but I mean it is good to know. So like yeah, the rental car I could submit that. I could submit for. Uh, yes. th- I, I didn't I didn't lose a you know my bag wasn't delayed although it took like two hours to get it back off the plane so I didn't get out of there till two a.m. Um, but I, that, that I don't think that counts and but I did so Uber to uh, the the Hilton at, at O'Hare and and then the hotel room. Yeah. Oh yeah. All right, thanks, Erica. Big Daddy's got a lot of money. No, and there's not even know. a contingency contingency fee with that. <laughs> now I have an additional question: What if uh, former nuclear waste head Sam Britton steals your luggage? Does <laughs> Southwest have to reimburse me for that? I mean, that's I mainly for women, the... not for me. But I know. yeah, he but mainly I... steals women's luggage. I mean, there's I'm just, just luggage curious. piled up at Midway and at St. Louis, and I was thinking about Sam. Like, which bag would he take? <laughs> What is a fancy designer bag for him to steal? Well, it's got to be a brand name, right? Yeah, it's got to well, be a yeah. brand. But then, but then he, right? He's, he's got good taste, man. I mean, three thousand dollar luggage. Like he, he could spot that out, and then yeah. But but it. if Sam Britton steals your luggage, then you get up to thirty six. What, what did Erica say? You get up to thirty six hundred dollars or thirty eight hundred dollars in reimbursements for the stuff yeah. you have to buy to replace all the stuff in your luggage. So it's sort of a win-win for Sam and for for you. Maybe you can upgrade. Maybe the contents of your of your luggage didn't add up to thirty eight hundred bucks. Mine certainly didn't. Uh, and you know, but but and by the way, too. I mean, just since I'm 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 not really complaining about Southwest because I got to say I fly Southwest a lot, and as I know, all the politicians are piling on Southwest. And hey, you know, when you're an airline. And you take government money the way all these airlines do. Hey, too bad, so sad. But they're gonna. Um, but I, that was the that was the only, that was the first time I had a bad experience on Southwest. I gotta say. Okay, so you'll fly them again. So I'm not. Yeah, I'm. I'm not gonna get you know dogmatic about it, especially if they reimburse my Uber and hotel. Rick in Downers Grove, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning. Hey, I don't know why everybody's so uh, upset because we got booty call on the jet. He'll straighten it out. Peabot, you mean? Yeah, the transportation yeah. secretary. He's launching a full sure. investigation. Yeah, that's right. Thanks for the call. Well, well and then sure this, this also never happens again. Well, this also raises the issue, though, too, of um, not that I want the government getting in the business of running airlines for the airlines because uh, that's a complicated business, and the government's not very good at complicated. I don't know if you've noticed, but um, but I just I, there were some there is some like legitimate questions not for regulators, but just questions that Southwest should answer in the interest of their <clears throat> their brand equity and their customer base about uh, why there were 
why they had such staffing issues so quickly and for such an extended period of time where the other airlines did not. I don't really know that we've gotten this. Well, because they like don't a, use the hub system, they said. And, you know, when one flight was delayed, then it just snowballed into now thousands. But I'm not buying that. Well, there's got to, yeah, I mean, the hub and spoke. But there's got to be some sort of contingency for, uh, you know, weather-related system disruptions. And I just, I don't know enough about it to comment intelligently, so I won't. I'll just work on submitting my paperwork for reimbursement. Dan and Amy, <laughs> Chicago's Morning Answer. It's like a hot, steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning and uh, happy 2023, Dan and Amy. We're back. Like we're MacArthur. back. Uh, ben Cardin is a socialist senator from Maryland. He had this to say about the First Amendment. Of course, talking in the context of tech and specifically angling his comments in the direction of Elon Musk. Ben Cardin, socialist senator from Maryland. His interpretation of the First Amendment. It's telling and chilling. If you espouse hate, if you espouse violence, you're not protected under the First Amendment. So I think we can be more aggressive in the way that we handle that type of use of the Internet. We know that Europe has done things. I think we have to learn from each other. (laughs) We need to adopt the uh, European approach to free speech, which is to say you don't have an individual God-given right to freely express yourself. And that, of course, would implicate freedom of conscience as well. And that's not lost on Ben Cardin. By the way, um, hate speech is not protected by the First Amendment. In fact, it explicitly is. Right. It explicitly is. Um, Perhaps he's familiar with the Nazis marching through Skokie. Uh, This was back at a time when the ACLU actually was interested in First Amendment protections, restraining the government from infringing on people's speech, however noxious, so long as it didn't cross over into conduct, like the incitement to violence. Yes, that's true. That is not protected. Uh, Speech you don't like, but has no proximity to violence, is absolutely protected. In point of fact, it's remarkable, but this is a commentary on our education system from pre-K through post-secondary, it's remarkable. The great jurists particularly those who were seen by the left as great jurists in the annals of American history. For example, Louis Brandeis, the namesake of Brandeis University, uh, who specifically commented on speech that you don't like, that the antidote to speech you don't like, I'm paraphrasing, is more speech, not enforced silence. Brandeis's words. Uh, ben Cardin is either wildly ignorant or purposefully so, and I think it's probably more the latter. Because hate has no home here, say these Mercedes Marxists in the suburbs to whom Ben Cardin is catering, and the entire Democrat Socialist Party along with him. Oh, and by the way, speaking of Europe and a global approach to 
combating hate in quotation marks as the left defines it, which, of course, is synonymous with disagreement with the left. Klaus Schwab is making the rounds online again. Uh, We mentioned him a bit earlier in the program when we were talking about the fourth industrial revolution as part of the great reset that these global corporatists envision. Uh, And the trans they're talking about is not related to gender identity, but related to transhumanism, the fusion of the digital and the biological. Well, Klaus Schwab is making the rounds also with the uh, video snippet of his announcement of the World Economic Forum's Global Education Initiative. Listen to this, right up Ben Cardin's alley. We put emphasis on what I said before, public-private partnerships, which we accompany. So when we define a, a project like our global educational initiative, I, I just described it in a, in, a, in a second, we have under the leadership of Cisco and many other companies, practically all the big names, we, we try to revolutionize the educational system of uh, Jordan, Egypt, um, and now Burundi um, by working together with the local uh, authorities. Um, we work also together with UNESCO, not only to equip the schools, but to put, uh, to retrain the teachers, to put the new curriculum into, uh, curricula into place. So we work together with the, we accompany those companies. Uh, we, we do not, that's a, that's a difference to the Clinton Initiative, which mainly, um, um, and which is a good thing, which asks companies to pledge some money to make a commitment and some to come back and to report. Uh, we are with the initiative or from the beginning uh, to the end. But so there's one other, one other difference. Uh, yeah, it's, they're, the, they're an enforcement arm, is essentially what uh, Klaus Schwab is saying. And by the way, I liked Klaus Schwab better when he was Siegfried, the head of chaos in Get Smart. Um, this guy who's called a Bond villain, he strikes me as more of a cartoonish, quote-unquote, villain. I guess it would be cartoonish if there weren't so many WEF acolytes in positions of power in the first, second, and developing worlds. But that's what that's what this uh, in education initiative is about. You think you have central planning at CPS in Chicago? You ain't seen nothing yet if it's left up to these guys. For more on this and other matters, we're pleased to be joined by our friend John Hinderaker again. He is, of course, the uh, contributor and publisher of powerlineblog.com, powerlineblog.com, must reading on a daily basis. John, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Yeah, great to be with you, Dan. So, uh, you know, I mean, just this this sort of bending big tech to its will. I mean, the left has to do that now just because of Musk's takeover of Twitter. Otherwise, they had big tech, as we know from the Twitter files, already bent to its will. And and then you marry that with uh, the, the and this isn't like global conspiracy stuff. It's just uh, Klaus Schwab and who his partners are. And he goes through them and you see Bill Gates and you see the biggest corporations in the world and you see cabinet ministers and presidents uh, of 
of first world countries that are all uh, bending to the will of the World Economic Forum's agenda too. And when you start talking, uh, when they start talking about an education initiative, which necessarily means K through 12 at the local level, then our ears should be perking up. Dan, the, the World Economic Forum is really sinister. You know, when I first started hearing about the Great Reset in conservative media, I thought, oh, is that some kind of right-wing conspiracy term? <laughs> and I looked it up. No, no, it's not the Great Reset. That is an initiative of the World Economic Forum. And what it really comes down to is rule of the world by the global elites. No more local control. No more pesky democracy like we have in the U.S. The Great Reset. And, you know, when you talk about, about the World Economic Forum getting involved in education, and you're right, Dan, it's really scary. One of the basic things going on here in the United States, and in fact, probably the only bright spot in November's election, is parents rising up to try to take over responsibility for their kids' education by running for local school boards, by, by voting for pro-parent candidates for local school boards. And this is a classic example of what the, the global elites that are represented by the World Economic Forum are trying to stamp out. Well, it's, they it's don't sort want of, local control. They don't it, want parents it, making decisions. It's sort of where we can uh, use uh, a favorite aphorism of the left against them. Uh, think globally and act locally. Uh, think about these uh, global ghouls like Klaus Schwab and act locally at your school district because Klaus Schwab and the teachers unions are aligned. When Klaus Schwab says, by 2030, nobody will own property and everybody will be happy. Now, that's been scrubbed from the website. Um, you know, that's n that's no different than the Chicago Teachers Union uh, perspective on property uh, possessed outside of their hands. Uh, I also note that the World Economic Forum has now scrubbed Twitter from its social media footprint and is promoting Chinese, Chinese communist social media companies, too. I mean, so, it, you know, it, it, call it, you can say this is conspiratorial or not. I don't know you're not saying it, but the left can say, oh, it's right-wing conspiracies or not. But this is just what they're doing, and you can attach whatever meaning to it or implication to it you'd like. Well, if you actually, we'd be a lot better off, Dan, if everybody went to the World Economic Forum website and read it. You know, this is, yeah. this is not like a Black secret. Lives Matter. Read their, it. Yeah, this is their, their publicly proclaimed agenda. Well, I want to get to a couple other topics with you as well, too. One, uh, this, uh, this, you know, sort of... Uh, unnerving business of uh, electoral politics, particularly within the House Republican ranks, and uh, the prospect of a bit of a mess uh, starting today with the fight over Kevin McCarthy's candidacy to be Speaker of the House. Uh, and, and apparently he's making concessions, but the concessions aren't enough for a handful of uh, holdouts that could prevent him from uh, winning the speakership and the House Republicans to getting on about their business with respect to the FBI and Hunter Biden and whatever else they can do. What, what's your handle on this? I mean, uh, it seems to me, look, um, Andy Biggs and company, if you don't have the votes and you can't come up with somebody who could get the votes, then it's time to concede defeat and move on to more important things. Dan, I mean, I think this is an instance of the of the proposition that if there's a way to screw something up, the Republicans will find it. You know, they've got this very slim House majority. As you say, they need to get going on the people's business. And the last thing that people want to see is, oh, yeah, let's have an intramural fight over who's going to be speaker 
when, as you say, the only one who's got the votes is Kevin McCarthy. And so uh, the smart thing to do is elect McCarthy and start acting like a majority. Unfortunately, it's not clear that's what the Republicans are going to do. And there's nine who want rules changes, you know, making it easier for them to remove the speaker. He's conceded to that. But, I mean, if not Kevin McCarthy, then who? No, that's exactly right. They don't have a candidate, certainly not a candidate who can win. And so this is another example, I think, of of Republicans shooting themselves needlessly in the foot. Uh, Something else that uh, you wrote about that has a particular resonance for us in Chicago is violent crime. Uh, we have an incident at least a day, horrific. We piled up more than 700 murders and more than 3,500 shootings uh, last year again. Um, and you wrote about uh, an incident that happened at the Mall of America, a killing at the Mall of America over the holidays, too, and what it speaks to with respect to the criminal justice system in big metropolitan areas controlled by the left. Yeah, that's right, Dan. I was shopping at the Nordstrom store at the Mall of America, biggest shopping mall in the United States, on December 23rd, two days before Christmas. And three hours after I was shopping in that store, a murder occurred in that very store. There was an altercation between two groups of youths, as they're described in the newspapers. I assume that means it was a gang uh, conflict. Uh, from news accounts, it sounds like there were three guns uh, fired, and um, and one of the members, people involved in this altercation was shot eight times, died on the scene. A, a middle-aged lady who was there with her teenage daughter uh, was shopping right nearby. A bullet grazed her, put a hole in her jacket. But, of course, as the facts start to come out, Dan, you find the same thing that you always do, which is that even though these were young people, 17, 18, 19 years old, they were veterans, veterans of the criminal justice system already. And one of my colleagues at American Experiment, David Zimmer, took a deep dive into the court records as to one of these kids, and he turned 18, which is the only reason this is even available. And it turned out that he had been involved, apparently, in a violent carjacking where they they put a gun to a woman's head, stole her car. A few days later, he's driving the car more than 90 miles an hour down the highway. A police officer gives chase. He flees the officer at a high speed. Other other vehicles, you know, police vehicles become involved. They deflate the tires. He keeps fleeing even though the tires are deflated crashes into a barrier, tries to switch out of the driver's seat with another another guy in the car. And the upshot of all of this, there's no attempt to even investigate whether he was one of the violent carjackers, which he almost certainly was. Long story short, he winds up only being asked to pay restitution in the amount of the deductible on the insurance policy of the owner of the stolen car, i.e. $500, which he doesn't do. And then a couple of months after this, right. you know, he's one of the guys involved in this murder at the Mall of America. And the point, Dan, we see this over and over again, is these young people learn a lesson through their repeated contacts with the criminal justice system. And that lesson is that in liberal states like Minnesota, where I live, or Illinois, where you live, crime is not taken seriously. They can commit crime after crime and just get away with it. And then sooner or later, somebody winds up dead. You know, um, I, I just wonder your perspective, another Midwestern state um, that's you know, got a, a long tradition in leftism, even a deeper tradition, really, than, than Illinois, um, but now is 
uh, a Democrat stronghold because of Minneapolis-St. Paul, like we are because of Cook County, although now the suburbs too. Um, but you had a governor's race this cycle, just like we did, and it was close for a while, and Tim Walz ended up winning by seven points or something. And I wonder like, what your perspective is on Minnesota, uh, the, the suburban communities that put the Democrats over the top, and, and what, if any, um, positive takeaways there are from the election recently concluded in Minnesota. Dan, I was confident that, that this was the year when, when really major issues like crime and the cost of living were going to focus the minds of these suburban swing voters. I thought the Republicans were going to have a great year nationally and a great year in Minnesota. Obviously, it didn't happen. And apparently what was going on is that a lot of these suburban voters cared more about abortion than about crime, the cost of living, education, and and so forth. That was a huge issue in Minnesota, as I think it was in some other other states. And the other thing is, you know, exit polling indicates that a lot of people were turning out, a lot of, a lot of Democrat voters in what normally would have been expected to be a pretty low turnout election, but a lot of Democratic voters were turning out to vote against Donald Trump. And I saw that in a couple of exit polls, which is bizarre. Of course, Donald Trump is not in office. He's not on the ballot. And yet, um, he, he was the one guy who agreed with the Democrats that the election was all about Donald Trump. And so what I would say, Dan, is that here in Minnesota, we kind of got swamped by these national trends. And frankly, it's pretty, pretty disheartening. You know, the, the thing about that, too, and it, this requires a deeper dive in Illinois and certainly would, would be in Minnesota, too. You know, I just I, I know I, I hear that uh, what you just described a lot and there's uh, certainly merit to it. But there's something else, too. You know, you, I'm trying, you're trying to crawl in the minds of people whose minds you don't want to spend much time in. So it's, it's a bit challenging. But, you know, everybody I voted for is in charge. And I just can't bring myself to say we need a course correction. I've gotten everything I want. That's the voter, the, the leftist voter in Illinois. That's the leftist voter in Minnesota. So one way of uh, deluding myself into thinking that I'm the problem and my choices are the problem is to say let, I still have this boogeyman, Donald Trump, and I'm just going to come to vote. I'm not going to vote for the failures of my people. I'm going to vote against the boogeyman that they've created that provides a comfortable outlet for me. I wonder how much of that's happening. Well, I think a lot, Dan. I mean, you know, things have gone so badly in the Biden administration, and frankly, badly in Minnesota under now 12 years of Democratic governors and mostly Democrat legislature. Things have gone very, very badly. And so, and so these left-leaning voters have to conjure up these boogeymen, right? And this is what the Democrats keep talking about, threats to our democracy right. and fascism and all this complete nonsense. I really didn't think that was going to work. But apparently that kind of thing is effective in distracting voters from the failures that they should be seeing with their own eyes. Right. I don't have to hold myself to account because uh, the, the wolf is at the door. I mean, that's, I, think there's, I think there's something to that, but it's got to be quantified, and that's a, that's a bigger undertaking. He is John Hinderaker, president of the Center of the American Experiment, contributor to Powerline, powerlineblog.com. John, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Great to be with you. Have a great day. Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys. On AM 560, The Answer. Insert Democrat Socialist here. Runs the Democratic House law. 
for 30 plus years running He's promising this and he's stealing that Where can you get that kind of money? He's using your house like his own piggy bank gang, 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 gang. You ought to know by now You can pay off your house here in Illinois But you can never keep up with the taxes Oh, how it's always been the plan To have a taxpayer pay, no doubt Not a matter of if anymore but when You're moving out when you're moving out. Stop of the morning, Dan and Amy. That the music means it's time for our first installment of 2023 with Ted Dabrowski, president of wirepoints.org, all things Illinois policy related. And uh, starting with the census numbers, I uh, note that in New York State, in the last two years, the state has net lost a half a million people. 500,000 people have fled New York in the last two years, uh, net, netting it out. And uh, the response from the state legislature in New York, the assembly there, was to vote themselves a 30% increase in salary, taking the salary of a New York state legislator to $142,000, the highest in the nation. So thinking about that, it seems to me that the Illinois General Assembly, the state reps and state senators there, they're due for a hefty salary increase, too, don't you think? I mean, we've led the nation in out-migration for most of the last decade, and I just don't think our salaries have kept pace with the salaries of New York state legislators. So, you know, I mean, maybe not 142, but 30% raise would put them in the neighborhood of a of a hundred grand, and I think that's fair, don't you? Sure. Why not? I mean, I I, I used to think that, a mass exodus from your state was sort of an indictment of your political, your state's political leadership, but apparently I had it wrong. So, yeah, I'm proposing a raise for Illinois state legislators. See what Ted Dabrowski thinks about that. Ted, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, good morning and happy new year to you guys. Yeah, what's yeah, what yeah, going on? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the salary list and what's fascinating, just having a look at it, you know, California has the highest, they're, they're one of the huge losers. New York is the second highest salaries. Um, and they, they're, they're huge uh, population losers. Pennsylvania's next. They were big losers. Michigan was a loser. Illinois was the, was the third biggest loser. Massachusetts was a loser. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. They're all losers, and they have the highest pay. So there must be a correlation that the more people you can chase out of your state, the, the higher you get paid. It, it does sort of make sense, in a sense, and uh, it's an argument I've made for a long time, is you think – and it's a bit counterintuitive. You think that if you're pushing people out and are people watching their friends and family members leave, you think, well, they're going to turn their ire on their political leadership. But no, what actually happens is it's center-right people that are fleeing, that are uh, majority fleeing those states. They make up a majority of the exodus. And so actually, the more people that these politicians force out, the better it becomes for them because all that's left are people that are insulated from terrible public policy because of their wealth or their dependence on transfer payments. And there's not much in between, which is the perfect environment for socialism. Yeah, yeah, that that was the subject of a piece uh, Mark Glenn and my colleague uh, ran about the great resort. And what we're seeing, and some polls are giving us that that information that it may be that, you know, the conservatives are all going down to Florida and Texas and, uh, the uh, Democrats are staying put where they are, and uh, you know we're going to have a great 
bifurcation in policy, and, and that could very well be the case. And uh, the polls are showing that the Republicans are much more likely to, to want to move to, to a state of their liking uh, that, that matches their, their policy uh, preferences much more so than Democrats, and maybe that's you know, the Democrats to stay where they are. Um, and, and, and that's a big thing. And I think the other big thing of this, Dan is, and, and, and Amy, is that people don't realize, like in Illinois, right, they, they, you know, they, they'll get a, over $70,000 in, in salary for, for the lawmaking that they do. Uh, it's a part-time job. And, um, you know, it's, it's a part-time job. You know, they, they do a horrible job anyway. It would be better if they didn't work at all, right, given, given where we are, 50th, you know, worst in, in everything. Uh, but it's a part-time job, and they get pensions with it, and they get all kinds of benefits and, um, you know, per diems and all that. So it's, uh, it, there's a big, uh, you know, it's just totally out of line between, you know, what, what they get paid for and how much they get paid and, you know, the, and the disaster they've made of the state. And WirePoints also did a, a great piece, I thought, about new CPS data showing that dozens of empty failing schools are still open. I mean, we played Bowen High School, and they barely had enough members for a varsity boys basketball team. Because no one's their their enrollments was cut in half than what it used to be years ago. Right, well, I guess that's part of the same discussion, right? When you have a shrinking population and you have people fleeing, especially you know a lot of the blacks that have fled uh, Chicago, it's no surprise that you're getting empty, empty schools. And when you tie that in with the union powers to to keep them open, right? They don't want to close anything that that weakens their power, weakens their pay. You end up with these schools, and you know we we laid out in the report we did, we laid out the twenty worst empty failing schools and you know everything about those schools are sad um you know first of all you know they'll have capacity of near a thousand and yet there'll be five to seven to ten percent at capacity so these schools are 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 empty they're they're not community hubs they're certainly not places of learning uh and then when you look at the actual results uh you know you're you're seeing anywhere from zero percent of kids being able to read the the three to five to seven percent they're absolute disasters and a failure in every way you can imagine uh and yeah It'd be nice if, if uh, the traditional media carried all this and put tons of pressure on the district, but uh, that's, of course, wishful thinking. I, I saw Mayor Triple Threat, who I've endorsed for re-election, uh, wrote a letter to the state saying, uh, I need more money for the uh, illegal immigrants that have been shipped to Chicago, 1,500 of them. Um, the state, uh, the uh, city is um, running 11 alternate shelters to provide meals, clothing, and showers. And uh, a city of 2.8 million people and a $15 billion budget just can't accommodate 1,500 people, apparently, not without more money from the state. And I see that uh, the CPS schools, about a third of them are half empty uh, and uh, some much emptier than that. So why don't we just put these migrants into CPS schools? You got the... uh, the shelter and the meals and showers right there in the schools. Why not uh, do double duty? Yeah, I mean, you know, this. Uh, what is it? Uh, let's look at the total uh, total space. There's about um, twenty seventeen room for seventeen thousand uh, people. You have these these uh, bottom twenty schools, which are anywhere from zero from five percent um, at capacity to twenty five percent at capacity. Uh, there's room for seventeen thousand people there. So yeah, some of those could be converted into. Uh, into, you know, housing centers and uh, solve a lot of problems for Lightfoot. And, uh, you know, um, we could probably look at that for New York and other places in the, in the country and, you know, bring in a lot more people. Absolutely. Why not? I, I mean, I'm you know, we could, these numbers. we could stand up uh, McCormick Place like we did during COVID for, you know, oh, that's for right. all those people. 
as well. I mean, we've got yeah, lots of go. space. I don't know why we need more state funding necessarily, but I mean, I understand why not ask for it. I mean, it is an election year and all. Well, you know, the, the, still, you know, we talked about this a lot too. Is, is that the budget? It's, it's Chicago. The, the Chicago forget CPS for a minute because it's not included here. But the budget for Chicago is now at sixteen billion dollars, and it was at ten billion dollars just uh, three or four years ago. So you're talking about a, a massive sixty percent increase in the fact that she's asking for more money from from the federal government when you know a, ch- a huge chunk of that was was federal money that they still haven't spent or they have it in the budget. Same so, thing. Uh, same thing at CPS. CPS is a ten billion dollar budget. So there's twenty six billion between the two of them, and there's yeah. uh, uh, tens of it out. tens of millions of dollars that CPS hasn't spent either. Well, there's no shame. Uh, there's no shame. Pritzker and Lightfoot oh. will continue to ask for more yeah. and more money from the federal government. Never mind the massive inflation that that's created, and of course the the dependency it's creating on the state, on the federal government. And you know, how do we get out of that? I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, well, people we like this it. emergency um, order so we can get federal funds. Was it uh, people lost four thousand dollars? The average American lost uh, average, average American family lost forty four thousand dollars in purchasing power last year. And the average uh, retiree lost thirty thousand dollars in savings in their four hundred one k, and uh, the middle income suburbanites in Chicagoland they love this. Uh, so more of it, and uh, keep shoveling money into Chicago and to CPS. I mean, let's let's keep it up. And I say absolutely, which is why I've endorsed Lori Lightfoot for re-election. Um, another matter too, uh, which again has been a team effort from the uh, Chicago. Uh, political uh, leadership combined with the state political leadership working together, which is always the best. People are working together. Nothing but good happens. And so they work together on the Safety Act, and that's been great. Uh, Then they work together again to amend it under political pressure of some sort. And now they've got the courts that have intervened, but it's going to be real interesting. This was always going to go to the state Supreme Court, and that's where it resides now. It's been stayed until the Supreme Court rules rules on it. But you got an interesting dynamic at the state Supreme Court, don't you? you got seven justices, 5-2 Dem majority, with two of those justices, Rochford and Mary Kay O'Brien, uh, in their seats because of J.B. Pritzker's campaign cash in the recently passed election. So that, that vote on the Supreme Court, uh, on the appeal of the order declaring the safety act unconstitutional is going to be going to be mighty interesting, isn't it? Well, it is, and you know, and it, it just brings up so many problems. That I, I thought about writing a piece on this on, on on Pritzker and all the money he spends because you know it's one thing for, for for him to spend money to get himself elected, but you know the way he doles out money for for things like you know like all these uh, different agendas he's had, like the progressive tax, which failed, but uh, you know when he funds. Uh, part of uh, Darren Bailey's campaign, all that kind of stuff. It just wreaks havoc on, on how the state works. And, and, and you know, I, I don't like to put controls on things, but there's something totally fundamentally wrong when he starts funding Supreme Court justices and things like that, because now, you know, how do you expect them to vote, right? And, and it becomes pretty obvious. Now, maybe they would have voted the, the wrong way anyway, but uh, certainly, you know, it's the same thing when he pays salaries to, to the people he works. He, he doubles their salaries now to the people on his staff, do they work for the state or do they work for Pritzker? Well, you know, it's funny. Conflicts of interest, but that's that's how we work here. Right, the conflicts and the appearance of conflicts, which is usually a problem with respect to um, the practice of law, but not in the case of Supreme Court candidates on the left, of course, because who cares? The Chicago media doesn't, and uh, the voters don't, so there you go. I mean... Uh, But but here's the thing about that, though, too. Um, 
the um, the, the rules, you know, regarding Supreme Court candidates. To, it's 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 such a scam. Everything in this state is a scam, and this is too. Oh, the the men and women of the the cloth, the officers of the court, and you know, I have very strict rules. I've got to operate within things I can and cannot say if I'm a candidate for judicial office. Uh, including the Supreme Court, you know, I can't be attacking my opponent and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And, you know, we've got to make sure that there's no appearance of impropriety or bias of any sort. But I could take a half a million dollars from the governor knowing that I'm likely going to be uh, a, judi- a ruling on his signature piece of legislation in his first term. That's not a problem. Yeah, that, that's not a problem. <laughs> yeah, like you said, we could, we could do this over and over and over across so many things, right? Just the way the way laws are created, the uh, yeah, no comment other than ditto, and, and it just happens all the time, and, and and it just becomes the norm. And I think you know one, one of the pieces we wrote this morning is, is the media goes along with it, you know, largely mm-hmm. if not entirely. Uh, they don't they don't you know abuse the governor or or other uh, bad practices. And you know the one we talked about today is you know, look, look how the Chicago Tribune you know lets lets the Chicago Police Department uh, Superintendent Brown set the messaging for 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 this campaign by saying oh. You know, homicides are down fourteen uh, percent uh, in in twenty twenty two. Let let me. You know, things are good, and uh, uh, yeah, the Tribune goes along and plays with it. You know, the big well, headline, starting headline for the year is that when it should have been exact the opposite of that. Yeah, but they send out this press release, and every you know anybody signed up for it got it, saying that last month of twenty twenty two marked the tenth consecutive month of double digit declines in gun violence. I mean, they're cherry picking data. And then they put it out, you know, Chicago Police Department, 2022 year in review. And they're celebrating what? I mean, there were 700 plus murders, 3,500 shot. And Brown campaigning for Mayor Lightfoot. Yeah, and and crimes were up 41%. And you've got these motor vehicle thefts, which which have doubled. And you've got, you know, the carjackings. We've seen the violence. And uh, it's it's horrific by any measure. Uh, You know, 2022 was supposed to be a better year because we're way past George Floyd. We're way past. COVID, and no, a 41% increase in these crimes. Yeah, yes, you had you had uh, uh, murders down some, but, but they're still 30, 30-something percent higher than they were in 2019, so they're still out of control. It's not, it's not a time to celebrate. It's time to be you know, super, uh, super angry at w- w- how things are. Oh, these guys are great. They, they would have been great uh, and the, as like the PR department of the Blue Star Line. 712 people survived the Titanic voyage. That would be the headline. Uh, Ted Dabrowski, President Wirepoints, wirepoints.com, all things Illinois policy related. Thanks as always, Ted. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Happy New Year. Thanks. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Happy 2023. And it uh, begins with the same nonsense with which it ended uh, on so many levels, specifically here talking about the COVIDian nonsense. For example, Kamala Harris required COVID tests for anyone over two years old to participate in Senate swearing in photos. 
So, you know, you, you're newly elected senator, you bring your kids. Anybody right. over two had to have a negative test to be in the picture. Oh, come on. Who the heck does she think she is? I, I mean, and, and again, so here, important. I mean, she's had it, too. She's been she's had all four shots and she still got COVID and she was fine and she lived. Well, I mean, it's just it's is there anything even left to say? I mean, if you don't want to confront the reality of what we know at this juncture, then I just don't think there's anything you can say to certain people, including the vice president. Now, they're doing it for political theater reasons, um, but those who are under their spell, boy, they're doing it out of uh, fear, ignorance, maybe for political theater reasons as well, some of them, but for whatever the reason is, they're a real impediment to a free society, I'll tell you that. Well, uh, look what Mayor Lightfoot did. She, she, her, for her you know, Christmas or holiday love letter to the city of Chicago, she's sitting at her desk by herself wearing a mask. Well, that's an improvement. Be- for more yeah, on all of this, all this yeah. please to be joined again by Jeffrey Tucker, founder and president of the Brownstone Institute, author of Liberty or Lockdown. Jeffrey, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Well, as always, you know, it's funny you say, is there anything that's to say? I, I can't stop saying stuff because there's always more to discover and more uh, and more insanity uh, going on. Uh, just let me just quickly mention uh, one thing that I just went to Mexico City. I was returning. They would not let me board the flight until I provided all uh, uh, information on my, you know, my soon-to-be whereabouts in case I showed up with a with COVID, in which case, presumably, they're going to contact trace me somewhere between <laughs> Connecticut and Mexico City. We're going to contact, because we're still, we're going to control this virus. We're going to find out who's giving COVID to whom and stop it. So this is the, still the, the way they're thinking. You're right. I'm not sure anything has changed since March 2020. That same attitude. We're going to control this virus. We're going to put these masters of government and the CDC in charge, and we're going to control it and stop it and direct it and mitigate it and improve your life. <laughs> the, uh, the only, the only thing know, that's... We can't, go ahead. Yeah, the only thing that's really different um, is, and, and it's because people who they care about have been socialized to follow orders uh, or recommendations as uh, that turned into orders. Well, now those recommendations, some of them are just recommendations because that's all that's required. And initially it required force. Now it just requires virtue signaling and their constituency goes along and that's who they care about. Uh, you know, it is highly political in that sense, but there's real world, world costs. Uh, I have, Brownstone has a new fellows program where we're trying to uh, basically support uh, smart, courageous people who have been a little bit professionally displaced <laughs> in the last several years, among whom there's many. But uh, one of one of these people is a, a professor of ethics at the University of, of Alberta, I'm not sure, um, or Toronto, I'm not entirely sure, uh, Ju- uh, Julie Ponesi. So she's just this brilliant scholar, and she just wasn't going to take the job. Um, so she resigned. So I've, I've sort of taken her on as a fellow for 2023. So I invited her to a program uh, uh, here in Connecticut in February. Well, she can't come because the U.S. still does not allow unvaccinated uh, uh, people into the country who do not hold already U.S. passports. This is really going on. So I'm looking at this email thinking this is still 
happened? This this poor woman can't even, you know, just drop across the border a little bit to to come to a a uh, a retreat with other scholars and and journalists and fellows. She's not allowed to. So this this kind of brutal force is still being used very high personal costs in people's lives. A, a, no a tip poll, a tip poll uh, out over the holidays, 56% of self-identified Democrats support masking kids under the age of five. Mm. So, I mean, that that's where it's at. Their constituency for the majority party in D.C. is is completely aligned. Yeah, it's, it's so creepy. I remember the first time I ever saw a kid in a mask, I just nearly fainted. I thought, this is child abuse and somebody should stop this immediately. I never would have imagined that it would become the universal, you know, norm, a mandate, much less favored by a large political constituency. Put something on that kid's face so he's not spending germs. Right. It's unbelievable that's, that that's, that's what we've come to. They, I don't know. This this entire experience has so shattered people's sense of uh, decency, morality, you know, ethics, normalcy, understanding of of, of medicine. It, it's I don't know. Well, I, is it going to take one, two, three generations to recover from this? I, so, I just I just don't know. Yeah, and you wrote an article about uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci finally gone from his government perch. Well, who's going to be the new Anthony Fauci? Who's taking his place? Do we even know yet? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, there's an interim guy named Osh. Uh, Dr. Ja from Brown University. No, no, no. The interim Ashish Ja. No, no, no. This is oh. the guy who's replacing, replacing Fauci's daughter. Yeah, formally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, his daughter works for a farm company. You know, his wife's you know got a long heritage and all this stuff. But right. anyway, they're all well connected. It's pretty, uh, pretty darn uh, creepy. But but somebody is going to be selected. He's just the interim head. Yeah. Why am I forgetting his name? But anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, somebody They're will be chosen, and, and and whoever gets chosen will be wholly owned by Big Pharma. I mean, that much we know, and there'll be enough, you know, compromise. It won't be in a position to, to be independent, um, obviously. I did a, a big deep dive over the weekend into the Fauci and I had a, you know, I had a vague sense that he had testified early on before the lockdown, in a way that s- sort of was how, I, how should I say duplicitous. But I went back to that March eleventh, twenty twenty testimony, and you know, it turns out he overestimated the mortality rate of COVID by, in some demographics, by like three hundred thousand percent. You know, he was running Round around. Yeah, he was running around putting figures in people's head like ten percent, three percent, you know, to a, to a, 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 a an audience of politicians who don't don't understand anything about the difference between, say, infection fatality rates and you know, case fatality rates, or you know, anything about viruses at all. I mean, they're specialists in running and getting elected, right? So he's over there just just throwing sand in their face, or another metaphor, it's smoke and mirrors. But basically leading everybody in the room to believe that one in ten of their constituents, at best, is going to be dead unless uh, they lock down the country. And that, that was what he said on, on March 11, 2020. Well, you know, we, we, all the data are in by now. And we know that, depending on what you want to say about the uh, infection fatality rate of flu, let's say it's 0.1%. Well... 
there's a pretty high estimate that's being floated around right now that for the general population, uh, the uh, infection fatality rate is 0.09. So just slightly less than the annual flu, okay? You know, if you're going to use those measurements. And then you add into that confusion over PCR tests, death in the classification numbers, and everything else. It, it's just a, a really striking thing to observe how much uh, Fauci, CDC, NIH, and all the rest of these clowns uh, wildly overestimated the uh, the serious the the fatality rate uh, that would be COVID in the interest of of, of promoting panic. It's a, it's a really interesting fact, and uh, and by the way, all the latest AFR, IFR statistics on kids are something like zero point zero 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 three percent infection fatality rate for the demographic zero to nineteen. So you know that's as close to zero as you could possibly get. And, and what else? Um, what do we know now about something that? Uh you know, uh, renegade doctors, they became renegade doctors like Robert Malone were saying at the outset of the uh, vax craze, which, of course, continues unabated, uh, about um, sort of the attenuation of uh, the vaccines where uh, the vaccines are actually reducing your resistance to the mm. disease. And now mm. we're seeing pieces like our do, do get to do getting more shots uh, create a higher risk of of mm. illness. Yeah, yeah. The Wall Street, Wall Street Journal is trying to report on this for the first time. I, uh, my first article that I received on my email was about 12 months ago. I got, I got an article in from a guy who's a real expert on what's called original antigenic sin or immunity imprinting, which is when uh, a, a vaccine sort of backfires. It hardwires your immune system to work against one strain, and then when that strain goes away, your immune system is disabled in the face of all, of all other mutations and other forms of viral infections. What that means is that the vaccine would have a reverse uh, effect. It's like, a, like an anti-therapeutic right. nation, more vulnerable. And we're seeing ever more evidence of this. And I just 10 minutes ago published a, a piece by the uh, Deputy Assistant uh, 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 General for the United Nations, that, uh, who's a, an uh, infectious disease epidemiologist out of Melbourne, Australia, named Ramesh Thakur, who has all the data from Japan and Israel and Australia all over the place. It's just, it's undeniable at this point. The more evacs, the more infections you're going to get, uh, the more it's associated with, uh, with tests. And in other words, the vaccine actually, as far as we can tell from the data, uh, mm-hmm. had a reverse effect, not a good effect. And the best outcomes for COVID right now that we're seeing around the world are in the unvaccinated populations. And I'm sorry if, if this news shocks your listeners. Don't hate on me. This is just the data we're seeing. Mm-hmm. And um, what, where, what's your handle, uh, the latest handle on the died suddenly cases? Uh, we have... Um, uh, we don't know. We do not know. But we have two cases over the weekend. We have a 38-year-old former Jacksonville Jaguars player who died yeah. in his sleep of cardiac arrest in Indiana. We have, of course, the event last night in the Buffalo Bills game where yeah. uh, DeMar Hamlin collapsed on the field, had a cardiac event, 24-year-old professional athlete. And we don't know anything about his VAC status. We don't know. But, so I'm not, I don't know or the, with the Jags player either. We don't know. 
but but the questions, more questions being asked about the incidence of myocarditis, particularly young men, some studies suggesting the, the heightened risk, certainly in comparison to uh, the, the risk of, of serious illness or death uh, for young men who are otherwise in good yeah. shape. So what, what's your handle on where we're at with the died suddenly cases? Well, it's a very painful topic, obviously, and nobody wants to, to look too closely at it. It's so terrifying. But based on everything else we, we know, I'm beginning to think that the situation is actually worse than what, that, than what the public mind currently understands. But there was a Rasmussen poll that came out over the weekend that said that one in four people know somebody who has died suddenly. So, I, you know, it's just a poll you know, that doesn't prove causality. It doesn't show anything in, in particular. But it's just there's a lot of signs pointing out, pointing to the possibility that uh, these uh, the vaccines turn out to be more deadly than anybody uh, once has heretofore admitted. Uh, but here's the thing. You know, as time's going to go on, we're, we're going to, this is not going to, it's not going to be possible to suppress this information. We're going to know more and more and more. And uh, I, I think, you know, the, it's, it's a truly terrifying prospect to imagine that these vaccines are um, far, more, uh, far more adverse events associated with them than any vaccine heretofore approved in, in, in post-war history. And that has been admitted to me privately by many high-end specialists in vaccine safety, and they know that this is going on. And it really is, for an entire industry, um, a kind of existential moment, you know? Like, it's really truly terrifying uh, what we're facing because it could mean, well, it could it could mean the, the complete discrediting of one of the most powerful uh, industries in America and all, and with that comes the discrediting of public health, and with that comes the discrediting of, of medicine, uh, too. So, you know, we're, we're talking about a very serious moment in, in history. Uh, and I, this is not anything you wanted, it's not anything I wanted. I, you know, I would have far preferred these vaccines to actually work or at least be neutral, you know? Right. Uh, I didn't. I didn't want to. I didn't want to see this this happening. I wasn't cheering for it. I'm not looking at this going. Ah ha ha! We got you there. It's just. It's. It's truly heartbreaking, and there's so much pain. And I tell you, the only way I know to ameliorate this pain and suffering that's going on right now is just a little bit of honesty and truth, and that is what we are not getting. Right. He is Jeffrey Tucker. Brownstone Institute, author of Liberty or Lockdown. Jeffrey, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. If you're talking about it, Dan and Amy are talking about it. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Dan and Amy, top of the morning. I mean, if you need a, a quintessential example of COVIDianism as a cult, and yeah. I would say this is really leftism is the cult, and COVID just provided another platform for it. This is somebody on, who tweeted this out on Twitter. She presents herself as a doctor, Dr. Natalia, MD. I will never regret the vaccine. Even if it turns out I injected actual poison and have only days to live. Well, my heart's not going to age well. My heart and is, was in the right place i got vaccinated out of love 
while anti-vaxxers did everything out of hate. Yeah. If I have to die because of my love for the world, then so be it. But I will never regret or apologize for it. Oh, my. And I'm sure Dr. Natalia presents herself as a woman of science and data. But she's not. She's a cultist. And uh, something uh, Samuel Johnson said about the road to hell Mm -hmm. and everybody's good intentions paved with them, paved with Dr. Natalia's good intentions. And she did, you know, delete the tweet. I wonder why. If you're talking about it, Dan and Amy are talking about it. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Sports and politics and sports and politics and sports and politics and intersection. Arrogance and ignorance, arrogance, ignorance, and arrogance and ignorance. Intersection. Yeah, on uh, this installment, uh, this uh, first installment of 2023 of Sports and Politics, we've got a couple of topics. We'll get to DeMar Hamlin in a second, but I just have to note, um, have you seen the Washington Commander's new mascot? Yeah, what, what is going on there? Love it. Perfect. Explain to people what, what, what is that exactly. The Washington Commanders, the Washington football team that used to be the Redskins and turned into the Commanders, their mascot is a big pink pig. Yeah. Which is perfect for D.C. <laughs> right. Pork. What's D.C. Oh, known for? Weird. Distributing pork. Perfect. Pork. That's not what they mean. I assume they, that's like a throwback to the, the hogs of the John Riggins era with Russ Grimm and that defensive, you know, the, 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 oh, the yeah. offensive and defensive fronts, the hogs, particularly the offensive line. But, but no, it's perfect. Perfect. A perfect caricature of a ridiculous team that succumbed to political pressure to change the nickname of their franchise to the Commanders. And now they've got what DC traffic's in, which is pork. Perfect. Love that. <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, Damar Hamlin. We tackled it at the beginning of the show, pun intended. Um, but let's do so again. We mentioned it briefly in our conversation before the news break with uh, Jeffrey Tucker. But so Damar Hamlin, this safety for the Buffalo Bills, tackles a Bengals wide receiver last night, gets up, and then collapses. And uh, we now know that he his heart stopped and he had to be uh, resuscitated on the field. Yeah, and it came back. His heartbeat did come back on the field. And uh, now he is uh, in critical, but I guess stable condition at a at a Cincinnati hospital. Yeah, he has a breathing tube in, and they're gonna. They say the next twelve to twenty four hours are crucial because eventually they'll have to take that out and see if he can breathe on his own. So you know, the, the, this commentary has nothing to do with Demar Hamlin in terms of well wishes for him, and uh, of course, um, but the the response to what happened. And, and I mean, let, let's before we even get to the media, which is was just god awful in my view. Three million dollars has been raised on a GoFundMe page, a GoFundMe campaign, for Demar Hamlin's uh, foundation, which uh, I guess their inaugural event this Christmas was to do a toy giveaway in his hometown in Pennsylvania, which is wonderful. But three million dollars. Well, the original goal was two thousand five hundred. They exceeded it. Is what you're they saying. did, yeah. right? But it's a community toy drive, like you said. It's on Twitter too, if you want to see it. And you know, people just want to do something to help out. They feel bad about what happened. They, most most of us watched it happen, saw uh-huh. it live on TV, and 
they're doing what they do best and throw money in a situation to make themselves feel better. Well, that's what they're doing. So if Jeremy Renner's, uh, you know, getting a, his leg run over by a snowplow, if that had been televised, would uh, those people have made a donation to a GoFundMe page for Jeremy Renner? Uh, you know, and I'm a big fan of Renner, not the Marvel Jeremy Renner, but like Jeremy Renner in the town. Hurt Locker. Yeah. He was good in Hurt Locker, yes. he was very good. Yeah, right. Yeah, and um, he's had two surgeries so far too, so we don't know about his yeah, so obviously future that, either. Yeah, he his leg he, he fully recovers from that terrible leg injury too. You know, you hope the cops who got attacked by a machete, that machete wielding wannabe terrorist uh, in New York over New Year's, you hope that they're all okay too. They got three cops got attacked and and sustained serious injuries, machete attack. How much has been raised in their GoFundMe? I, I'm, it's not about Demar Hamlin. It's a comment on our culture. And part of it is is driven by the absurd, like new depths of sentimentality that were attendant to the coverage of what happened on the field to Demar Hamlin last night. I'm talking about these ESPN commentators. I mean, they're just so awful. I'll use the I'll give the example again, which was I think Lisa Salter is an imbecile. Okay, Um, but for Ryan uh, Clark, who is uh, you know uh, played for the Steelers. Steelers, yeah, you're yeah, my beloved Steelers. I'm a great player. For Ryan Clark to say that NFL player, this is what he said: NFL players put their lives on the line every time they go out in the field. And so think about DeMar Hamlin next time you're critical of an NFL player. What? So our professional athletes or professional athletes in contact sports are now, are they now heroes who are beyond reproach? So I, I can't, you know, criticize, uh, whatever, pick a player. I can't criticize uh, Justin Fields for throwing an interception because he's got no offensive line in front of him and he's getting his brains beat in every game. So I can't, I can't criticize him for, you know, making a, a, a bad pass into triple cover. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? And at least, uh, oh, the the Buffalo Bill or the the uh, the Cincinnati Bengals players were just as concerned about Demar Hamlin. Of course they were. What this, this is coverage? I think they they're not used to dealing with death or possible. What are you death talking about? They're they proponents of death. They're all men and women of the left. That's what ESPN is. Talking. That's what ESPN is. They're not used to. De- they're proponents of all of the. They're proponents of every pro-death policy in discussion in this culture. And they, they, I mean, this is a network that, you know, employs Jameel Hill or used to. And now has facsimiles of her. It's all, it's the race hustle. It's the grievance industry. It's every, it's, it's pro-abortion. It's, 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 it's uh, equity and all of the shibboleths of the left all the time in the NFL. What do you, I mean, it's written on the field, for God's sakes. 
Black Lives Matter, promoting Marxism, promoting destruction of the nuclear family, promoting abortion, promoting euthanasia, everything on the left. And then there's the, they're the one, oh my, the, the, the tears, and Scott Van Pelt can barely keep it together to excoriate the NFL for not immediately suspending the game, and so on and so forth. It's just so symptomatic of our culture. These are people, number one, who don't know anything, who haven't thought through a gosh darn issue, who are not very good at their jobs, by the way. Their legacy, like you see in Chicago media, like Scott Van Pelt, or their box checking to make sure you've got the, the proper intersectional score among your staff. That's what so much of it is. And these you know, dopey athletes trying to get outside of their lane of X's and O's on a football field and give some profound commentary on the human condition. Absurd. And we shouldn't just sit there and say, oh, gosh, oh, you know, I feel so bad for Ryan Clark. I feel so bad for Scott Vimpel. Look what Lisa Salter is going through. Just, you know, just keep it together. Uh, we'll hope tomorrow, uh, Hamlin... Is okay. It's terrible that his mom had to be there and witness it. She rode to the. Give us the facts. She had. She rode in the ambulance with him, and you know. And so you know, we're thinking about him, and we're hopeful for him, and we'll keep you updated. Just spare me all the stuff that you know nothing about, and to the extent you pretend to know something, you're on the wrong side of all of it. Nobody will say that. Yeah, three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line. You can also text us anytime on our text line six four six three six. Type in DA, then a quick comment. Nobody will just nobody is willing to call out this barbarism masquerading as empathy. That's what it is. These are my favorite phrase. Um, someday I'll write a book about it. Sentimental barbarians, or since people don't understand what sentimentality is, sophisticated barbarians. They present them as, themselves as so sophisticated, and they're barbaric. Their thinking is barbaric. Their behavior is barbaric. They're disgraceful. They're not conduits for you to emote. They're spectacles. Carl in Big Cabin, Oklahoma. Big Cabin, Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah. Um, good morning. I, I really hope the the guy is going to be okay. You know, I, I have all the so does everybody's family in that. You know, but here's one food for thought, and then I'll uh, get on to my main point. Uh, if it was a referee, do you think they would have played the game? Of course they would have. He's just you know like a waiter or waitress. Now. These are boys in a stadium playing a game. They're not men on the field who watch their buddy get put down and continue to do their job. Maybe now they will show the respect earned by men who give their lives so we have our freedoms and stand for the flag and national anthem. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Thanks for the call, Carl. Yeah, right. I I forgot that one. The NFL, the take a knee league. Right. And and then the to original. listen to again, I, I 
to listen to Ryan Clark compare them to like uh, the soldiers at Normandy or something. It's ridiculous. It's insulting and it's ignorant. Yeah, that same NFL. Again, this has nothing to do with DeMar Hamlin. Everybody has the same concern for him and the well wishes that he fully recovers and can get back on the field and do what he loves to do. Great. Not a commentary on him. But, I mean, this competition, as I said previously, to see who can emote the most, who can present as the most overwrought. It's sickening to watch. Kevin in Austin, Texas. Uh, good morning and Happy New Year to you both. Uh, Dan, it's it's a uh, – I think it's – I don't know if it's ignorance or apathy uh, as far as – the way people don't know what to do when they, something feels bad, liberals like to just throw money at it. And I think this is what they did. They don't, it, it's not of how effective the money is, if it's going to solve the problem, if it's going to w- make the world better. It's if they feel better. And, and I think that's what this is a result of. And I hope that people who listen to your show and who are fellow travelers don't do that and, and find more effective ways to get rid of these people. Uh, Amy, you said something about, you know, well, what can we say uh, to Kamala Harris? There's nothing else to say. What we have to do is organize to get rid of these people the next election, wherever that's possible. But it's, you know, what's wrong with the Republican Party? You know, it, is that ignorance and apathy? I mean, you know, it, who, who knows? I just hope people who listen to this program don't have the same reactions. Like you said, I remember watching on Facebook when the Black Lives Matter thing happened. Everybody felt bad about it. And what had happened was a horrible tragedy, but the left manipulates people, and they ask for yeah. money, and they get their political agenda done through that. So, right. No, Thanks Elon for the call, Kevin. got money. <laughs> well, right. What, what, happened to, what happened to George Floyd was terrible, so we should embrace Marxism. <laughs> oh, yeah, that logically follows. These people. I mean, just... <laughs> They're laughable, especially the men, the the guy from Oklahoma. They're not men. They're not. And I'm not just talking about. I mean, some of them are. It's not, you know, I don't want with paint with too broad a brush, but I'm talking about I'm not just talking. I'm talking about the announcers. I'm talking about these these guys sitting behind a desk at ESPN. I can't cope with anything. They're so self-important, and they think this pro. I'm rising above. I'm meeting the moment by saying life is precious. By saying football doesn't matter anymore. We know going in that football is just a game. We know it's not life and death, and anything that becomes life and death, of course, is a concern. Uh, indelible moments. I get it. I watch it. I'll never forget seeing him collapse, seeing Hamlin collapse on the field. Just like I, I'll never forget uh, the video of Hank Gathers, who was one of my favorite college basketball players at the time at Loyola Marymount, when he collapsed and died on the court. And just as people, as I mentioned earlier in the program, who are old enough to remember when Chuck Hughes, wide receiver for De- the Detroit Lions, collapsed on the field in 1971 and died an hour after the game. He's a 28-year-old receiver. I'll never forget watching Johnny Knox get hit and breaking his back. Yeah, just I mean, are these horrific injuries. At the game, like, he will never play football again. Joe Theismann, you know, Lawrence Taylor breaking Joe Theismann's leg. I mean, that wasn't life and death, but it was still horrific. You remember, I get it. 
but are, 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 is there, are there adults that can cope and be measured about anything? Or do we all have to descend into a puddle of tears so that everybody can see that we care? It's so dishonest. These people are so empty. They're not fully formed intellectually or emotionally, actually. Denise and Hammond. I agree with you, Dan, 100%. I was watching the game, and I just find the NFL hypocrites when they say, please send your prayers for him. Yeah, I mean, what happened to him is awful, but I just find it so hypocritical when they say send prayers when they want to leave God out of everything. Right. And then they take, and, and like the previous caller said, like taking a knee to the national anthem. I, I, I'm just so disgusted. You, you totally... Same sentiments, just such hypocrites. Thanks for the well, call, I just, Yesterday when they were on their knees praying, I thought, oh, now it's okay to pray. Well, I mean, Now it's you okay know, to take a knee as a group and, and pray, which I loved it. I thought that was needed, and it was... Well, apropos. and look, I mean, and, he, and here's the thing. That, that's the thing that's so, like, they just, nobody thinks through anything. Because so many of these NFL players are religious. I mean, you know, there's a, a, a lot of black players, and, and they came up in the church, wherever they're from. Uh, you know, and they are religious. And you see uh, the prayer circles after the game with whoever wants to, after every NFL game, with whoever wants to pray. You've seen it that. at Soldier Field. I'm sure if you've gone to Bears games. And so it happens all the time. And there are a lot of, a lot of athletes. I mean, there's a whole, a great magazine called Sports Spectrum devoted to Christian athletes. Good. So there's a lot of men uh, or young men uh, and men of faith in the NFL and in professional sports. But it all gets subordinated to the politics of the leagues. And, you know, and, and the spirituality, the religiosity of the players is, you know, relegated to something that is observed but not spoken about. Hmm. John and Sherva. Yes, uh, I was going to mention the Chuck Hughes situation as I watched the ESPN with the commentators just spiral into nothingness just to uh, occupy the time. Very sad. Yeah, thanks for the call. Right, again, yeah, and these are supposed to be like, know. yeah, they're just supposed to, and they, do they, they, they've got producers, they got all kinds of toadies running around and nobody, has this ever happened before, any context? But particularly for listeners or viewers in this, in that case of a certain age that remember when Chuck Hughes died, collapsed on the field and then died shortly after the game. I mean, and it's not it's just like, I don't know. I mean, it's just typical of of coverage of everything. There's no context and consequence because it's just emotion and politics and emo and and politically driven emotion, politically driven sentimentality. Because ESPN is a political network. I don't know if you've noticed. Lennon Highland Park. Actually, I do remember the Chuck Hughes thing very well. And, uh, you know, it's it's interesting how back then, you know, if you got killed in an IndyCar race, you finished the race. If you got killed in a football game, you finished the game. Um, I'm not saying it's right or wrong that they canceled the game. I'm just saying it's different is how it, it plays out in today's world. And, uh, but the one thing he can, you know, everyone can take solace is that this guy was going to have a heart attack. 
Okay, he was in the safest place he possibly could be ever be in. And uh, well, they don't know if the hit induced the heart attack or the heart murmur. They're yeah, I don't think so. That out. Thanks for the call. On. I mean, I mean, maybe, but I mean, that was not that was not a unusually hard hit. Oh, but the guy's right shoulder went into his chest, so they're just going to, you know, I mean, who yeah, knows? But if he maybe. just randomly had a heart attack, yes, he was in the safest place because he got the defibrillator right away. He yeah, got and, CPR and, right away. And again, I mean, so the, the heroes in this story are not people that play football. The heroes are the first responders who resuscitated him on the life. field. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's not forget about them, right? Good grief. Uh, How are you feeling? Tom Deer Park. Good morning, Dan and Amy. A lot of smart commentary I've just heard. I don't disagree with anything that you or your callers have said. Unfortunately, us as a species, we we do a lot of dumb things too. And I would just comment on some of the online anti-vaxxers that were started to pile on. I, we just can't help ourselves from saying dumb stuff and. Uh, I don't know if you have something to say about that, but that's my comment. Well, thanks for the call, Tom. Oh, I mean, I don't know that anti-vaxxers, you, you, you raised the issue. I mean, we raised the issue with Jeffrey Tucker as well as with that Jacksonville Jaguars uh, player who, who retired now, was 38, who died at, in his sleep in Indiana. I don't know. I don't know. But we, we want to talk about died suddenly cases generally. I'm not making conclusions based on information I don't have. But when you have... The, so many of these died suddenly cases and nobody wants to talk about it. You've got a 24-year-old professional athlete and so many other instances like this, young men in particular. I mean, it's fair to, to raise the question and seek an answer and accept the answer, whatever it is. Um, we don't do that anymore as much either, and that's a problem. If you're talking about it, Dan and Amy are talking about it. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.